0: volume two chapter thirteen of the vicar of wrexhill this librivox recording is in the public domain the vicar of wrexhill by francis milton trollope volume two chapter thirteen mrs simpson's charitable visit charles's troubles continue from this time most of fanny mowbray's hours were spent in writing tracts which as soon as completed were delivered to mr cartwright he received them ever with expressions of mingled admiration and gratitude constantly assuring her the next time they met that nothing could be more admirably calculated to answer the effect intended, and that the last was incomparably superior to all which had preceded it. This occupation of writing tracts, first hit upon for the convenient occupation of Fanny Mowbray, was soon converted, by the ready wit of Mr. Cartwright, into an occupation, in one way or another, for all the professing Christians in his parish who happened to have nothing to do those who are at all acquainted with the manner in which the church methodists as they are called obtain the unbounded influence which they are known to possess in their different parishes particularly over the female part of their congregations must be aware that great and violent as the effect of their passionate extempore preaching often is it is not to that alone that they trust for obtaining it from the time mr cartwright became vicar of wrexhill he had been unremitting in his exertions of every kind to obtain power influence and dominion throughout the parish and on the whole had been pretty generally successful how far his handsome person and pleasing address contributed to this it is not here necessary to inquire but it is certain that he drew upon these advantages largely in his intercourse with the females in general and with the ladies in particular but though at first this particular species of devotion was exceedingly agreeable to him both in its exercise and its success, he now found very considerable inconvenience, from the difficulty of keeping up the frequency of his pastoral visits to his fair converts, without giving more time to them than was consistent with his infinitely more important avocations at the park. As soon, however, as he perceived how completely the writing of tracts occupied Fanny Mowbray during the time that was formerly bestowed upon listening to his sentimental divinity, he determined that several others of his female parishioners should dispose of their superfluous time in the same manner within twenty-four hours after he came to this decision the three mrs richards had each and every of them purchased a quire of foolscap paper a quarter of a hundred of goose-quills with a bottle of ink and a concordance in common between them miss stokes too the little blue-eyed milliner and mrs knighton the late postmaster's widow and mrs watkins the haberdasher's wife were all furnished with abundant materials of the same value and all of them determined to give up every earthly thing if it were necessary rather than disappoint the dear blessed mr cartwright of the comfort of receiving anything he expected from them the widow simpson and even her little holy mamima had also employment found for them which though it could but ill supply to that regenerate lady the loss of mr cartwright's society which at this particular time she was in a great degree deprived of served nevertheless to soothe her by the conviction that though not seen she was remembered the part of the business consigned to mrs simpson was the selling the tracts it was not without surprise that the people of the neighbourhood particularly the unawakened saw the parlour windows of the principal person in the village disfigured by a large square paper looking very much as if it announced lodgings to let but which upon closer examination proved to be inscribed as follows religious tracts hymns and meditations sold here at one penny each or ninepence halfpenny for the dozen miss Memima's duty was to hold in her hand a square box with a slit cut in the lid thereof in which all who purchased the tracts were requested to deposit their money for the same and when the customer's appearance betokened the possession of more pennies than their purchase required the little girl was instructed to say one more penny please ma'am or sir for the love of the lord thus for the pleasant interval of a few weeks everything went on smoothly helen at the earnest request of her brother and convinced by his arguments as well as those of lady harrington and rosalind that under existing circumstances it was right to do so made several morning visits to oakley had she been questioned concerning this, she would most frankly have avowed both the act and the motives for it. But no such questionings came. Charles himself dined there repeatedly, but was never asked why he absented himself, nor where he had been. During this period Mrs. Mowbray seemed to encourage rather more than usual the intercourse of the family with their Rexhill neighbours. The season being no longer favourable for walking, the Mowbray carriage was to be seen two or three times in a week at Mrs. Simpson's, Mrs. Richard's, and the vicarage but it often happened that though mrs mowbray proposed a visit to Rexhill while they were at the breakfast-table and that the coachman immediately received orders to be at the door accordingly when the time arrived her inclination for the excursion was found to have evaporated and the young people went thither alone upon one occasion of this kind when fanny being deeply engaged in the composition of a tract and charles gone to oakley miss torrington and helen had the carriage to themselves they agreed that instead of making the proposed visit to Mrs. Simpson, they should go to inquire for a little patient of Helen's, the child of a poor hard-working woman, who had long been one of her pensioners at Rexhill. The entrance to the house was by a side door from a lane too narrow to permit the carriage to turn. The two young ladies therefore were put down at the corner of it, and their approach was unheard by those who occupied the room upon which the door of the house opened, although it stood ajar. But as they were in the very act of entering, They were stopped by words so loud and angry that they felt disposed to turn back and abandon their charitable intention altogether. But Rosalind's ear caught a sound that made her curious to hear more, and laying her hand on Helen's arm, and at the same time making a sign that she should be silent, they stood for a moment on the threshold, that they might decide whether to retreat or advance. "'You nasty, abominable woman, you!' These were the first words which distinctly reached them. "'You nasty, untidy creature!' look at the soap suds stew all splashed out upon the ground how can you expect a christian lady who is the principal person in the parish to come and look after your nasty dirty soul you untidy pig you lord love you my lady tis downright impossible to keep one little room neat and fit for the like of you when i have the washing of three families to do in it heaven be praised for it and to cook my husband's bitter dinner and let three little ones crawl about in it besides stuff and nonsense responded the principal person in the village who ever heard of washing making people dirty look here put out your hand can't you i am sure i shall come no nearer to you and your tub take these three tracts and take care you expound them to your husband and remember that you are to bring them back again in one month without a single speck of dirt upon them you be sent by the new vicar bay not you madam simpson inquired the woman scent woman i don't know what you mean by scent as a friend and joint labourer with mr cartwright in the vineyard i am come to take your soul out of the nethermost pit but if you will persist in going on soaping and rubbing at that rate instead of listening to me i don't see that you have any more chance of salvation than your black kettle there mercy on me i shall catch my death of cold here tell me at once do you undertake to expound these tracts to your husband dear me no my lady i was brought up altogether to the washing line what has that to do with it you stupid sinner i can't stay any longer in this horrid damp windy hole but take care that you expound for i insist upon it and if you don't you may depend upon it that mr cartwright won't give you one penny of the sacrament money so saying the pious lady turned away and opened the door upon miss torrington and helen conscious perhaps that her christian duty had not been performed in so ladylike a manner as it might have been had she known that any portion of the park family were within hearing The principal person in the village started and coloured at seeing them, but aware how greatly she had outrun the two young ladies in the heavenly race, she immediately recovered herself, and said, "'I am afraid, young ladies, that your errand here is not the same as mine. Betty Thomas is a poor sinful creature, and I hope you are not going to give her money till she is reported elect. Miss Mowbray, it will really be no less than a sin if you do.' "'She has a sick child, Mrs. Simpson,' replied Helen, "'and I am going to give her money to buy what will make broth for it.' Helen then entered the room, made her inquiries for the little sufferer, and putting her donation into sinful Betty Thompson's soapy hand, returned to Mrs. Simpson and Rosalind, who remained conversing at the door. It was raining hard, and Miss Mowbray asked Mrs. Simpson if she should take her home. "'That is an offer that I won't refuse, Miss Mowbray, though I am within, and you are without the pail. But I am terribly subject to catching cold, and I do assure you that this winter weather makes a serious Christian's duty very difficult to do. I have got rid of seventy tracts since the first of December.' you sell the tracts do you not mrs simpson said rosalind yes miss torrington i sell them and lend them and now and then give them when i think it is a great object to have them seen in any particular house have you collected much ma'am by the sale not a very large sum as yet miss torrington but i am getting on in many different ways for the furtherance of heaven's work perhaps ladies though you have not as yet put your own hands to the plough that shall open the way for you to a place among the heavenly host you may like to see my account i should like it very much mrs simpson said rosalind the lady then drew from her reticule a small pocket-book from which she read several items which from various sources contributed as she said to fill the bag for the work to be expended upon the saints by the hands of their pious vicar by the time this interesting lecture was finished the carriage had reached mrs simpson's door and having set her down was ordered home now will i give charles a pendant to the exquisite poetical effusion which he bestowed on me some time since said rosalind drawing forth pencil and paper from a pocket of the carriage, in which Mrs. Mowbray was accustomed of late to deposit what the vicar called sacred memoranda, by which were signified all the scraps of gossip respecting the poor people among whom she distributed tracts that she could collect for his private ear. Having invoked the sisters' nine for the space of five minutes, she read aloud the result to Helen, who declared herself willing to give testimony, if called upon, to the faithful rendering, save and accept the rhymes, of the financial document to which they had just listened sixpence a week paid by each serious pew in mr cartwright's church makes one pound two from wrexhill's workhouse by a farthing rate collected by myself just one pound eight crumbs for the lord gathered from door to door through hampshire makes exactly two pounds four from twelve old ladies offerings from the hive in various sums amount to three pound five "'From our new Sunday-school, as the Lord's fee, "'by pennies from each child, we've shillings three. "'And last of all, in more deserving praise "'than all the sums raised by all the other ways, "'the desperate sinner's certain road to heaven, "'sold at the gallows' foot, thirteen pound seven. "'This is a new accomplishment,' said Helen, laughing. "'And I declare to you, Rosalind, I think it very unnecessary, "'Roman Catholic-like and unkind, "'to perform any more works of supererogation "'in that fascinating style upon the heart of poor Charles. "'I'm afraid he's had more than is good for him already.' i do not think the beauty of my verses will all tend to injure mr mowbray's peace of mind replied rosalind rather coldly however we can watch their effects you know and if we see any alarming symptoms coming on we can withdraw them just before they reached the lodge gates they perceived charles on foot before them and stopping the carriage helen made him get in just to tell him as she had said how her dear godmother was what kind messages she had sent her and though last not least whether any tidings had been heard of the commission charles appeared to be in excellent spirits repeated many pleasant observations uttered by Sir Gilbert on the effervescent nature of his mother's malady, told them that a commission in the horse-guards was declared to be at his service as soon as the money for it was forthcoming, for which, if needs must, even Sir Gilbert had permitted him to draw on Mr. Corbold, and, finally, that he believed that they had all alarmed themselves about Mr. Cartwright and his pernicious influences in a very wrong and unreasonable manner. On reaching the house they entered the library, which was the usual winter sitting-room, but it was quite deserted. They drew round the fire for a few minutes' further discussion of the news and the gossip which Charles had brought, and, apropos of some of the Oakley anecdotes of the proceedings at Rexhill, Helen requested Rosalind to produce her version of Mrs. Simpson's Deeds of Grace. "'Willingly,' replied Miss Torrington, drawing the paper from her pocket. "'You dedicated a poem to me, Mr. Mowbray, some weeks ago, and I now beg to testify my gratitude by presenting you with this.' Charles took the paper, and while fixing his eyes with a good deal of meaning upon the beautiful giver kissed it, and said, "'Do you make it a principle, Miss Torrington, "'to return in kind every offering that is made to you?' "'That is she replied, colouring, "'and turning round to say something to Helen. "'But she was gone. "'Rosalind,' said Charles, "'thrusting her paper unread into his bosom, "'this commission, though we hail it as good fortune, "'will yet put an end by far "'the happiest period of my existence, "'unless, I may hope, Rosalind, "'that, if ever the time should come, "'and now I think it will come, "'when I may again consider myself "'as the heir to a large property,' "'I may hope that you will some day suffer me "'to lay this property at your feet.' "'Never lay your property at the feet of any one, Mr. Mowbray,' "'she replied carelessly. "'Charles coloured, and looked grievously offended. "'You teach me at least, Miss Torrington, "'to beware how I venture again to hope "'that you would accept anything I could lay at yours. "'Nay, do not say so, Mr. Mowbray. "'I accept daily from you most willingly and gratefully "'unnumbered testimonies of friendship and goodwill, "'and if their being kindly welcomed will ensure their continuance.' You will not let them cease i am a coxcomb for having ever hoped for more said charles leaving the room with cheeks painfully glowing and a heart indignantly throbbing he had not looked for this repulse and his disappointment was abundantly painful over and over again had he decided while holding counsel with himself on the subject that he would not propose to rosalind till his mother had made him independent but these resolutions were the result rather of a feeling of generosity than of timidity yet charles mowbray was no coxcomb Miss Torrington was not herself aware how many trifling but fondly treasured symptoms of partial liking she had betrayed towards him during the last few weeks, and as it had never entered his imagination to believe that she could doubt the reality of his strong attachment, he attributed the repulse he had received, as well as all the encouragement which led him to risk it, as the result of the most cruel and cold-hearted coquetry— it is possible that he left rosalind little better satisfied with herself than he was with her but unfortunately there is no medium by which thoughts carefully hid in one bosom can be made to pour their light and warmth into another and much misery was in this instance as well as in ten thousand others endured by each party only for want of understanding what was going on in the heart of the other mowbray determined not to waste another hour in uncertainty as to the manner in which his commission was to be paid for and his future expenses supplied but in his way to his mother he delayed long enough to say to helen i have proposed and been most scornfully rejected helen how could we either of us ever dream that miss torrington showed any more favour to me than she would have done to any brother of yours had he been a hunchbacked idiot without waiting to receive any expression either of surprise or sympathy he left his sister with the same hurried abruptness with which he sought her and hastened on to find his mother she was sitting alone with a bible on one side of her and two tracts on the other in her hand was a little curiously folded note, such as she now very constantly received at least once a day, even though the writer might have left her presence in health and perfect contentment one short hour before. She started at the sudden entrance of her son, and her delicately pale face became as red as a milkmaid's as she hastily placed the note she was reading between the leaves of her book. But Charles saw it not. Every pulse within him was beating with such violence that it required all the power left him to speak that which he had to say." Had his mother been weighing out a poison, and packets before her labelled for himself and his sister's, he would not have seen it. "'Mother,' he said, "'I have received notice that the commission in the horse-guards, which my father applied for some time before he died, is now ready for me. Will you have the kindness to furnish me with the means of paying for it? And will you also inform me on what sum I may reckon for my yearly expenses? I mean to join immediately.' Mrs. Mowbray's little agitation had entirely subsided, and she answered with much solemnity, you come to me charles in a very abrupt manner and apparently a very thoughtless frame of mind to speak on subjects which to my humble capacity seem fraught with consequences most awfully important the horse guards oh charles is it possible you can have lived for so many weeks in such a regenerated family as mine and yet turn your thoughts toward a life so profane as that of an officer in the horse guards let my life pass where it may mother i trust it will not be a profane one i should ill repay my father's teaching if it were this is the profession which he chose for me it is the one to which i have always directed my hopes and it is that which i decidedly prefer i trust therefore that you will not object to my following the course which my most excellent father pointed out to me i shall object to it sir and pray understand at once that i will never suffer the intemperate pleadings of a hot-headed young man to overpower the voice of conscience in my heart poor mowbray felt inclined to exclaim when sorrows come they come not single spies but in battalions For a moment he remained perfectly silent, and then said, "'This is very terrible news for me, mother. You shall hear, I trust, no intemperate pleadings, but I hope you will let me reason with you on the subject. Surely you will not blame me for wishing in this and in all things to adhere as closely as may be to my dear father's wishes. If your poor father, Charles, groped through life surrounded on all sides with outer darkness, is that any reason that I should suffer the son he left under my care and control to do so likewise?' when he left the whole of my property at my whole and sole disposal it was plain that he felt there was more hope of wisdom abiding in me than in you it is herein and herein only that i must labour to do according to his wishes and his will and endeavour so to act that all may see his confidence in me was not misplaced for heaven's sake mother think well before you determine upon disappointing all my hopes in this most cruel manner and believe me that no look is on between you and me except perhaps the mischievous fanatic who has lately chosen to meddle so impertinently in our affairs but will feel and say that i have been ill-treated had mowbray not been stung and irritated as he was before this conversation it is probably he would have not have remonstrated thus warmly with a mother whom he had ever been accustomed to treat with the most tender observance and respect she looked at him with equal anger and astonishment and remained for some time without speaking a word or withdrawing her eyes from his face If her son felt inclined to quote Shakespeare at the beginning of the conversation, she might have done so at the end of it, for all she wished to say was comprised in these words, "'Nay, then, I'll send those to you that can speak.' She did not, however, express herself exactly thus, but ended her long examination of his flushed and agitated countenance by pronouncing almost in a whisper, "'This is very terrible, but I thank heaven I am not left quite alone in the world.' Having thus spoken, she rose and retired to her bedroom, leaving her very unhappy son in possession of her morning parlour and of more bitter thoughts than had ever before been his portion having continued for some moments exactly in the position in which she left him he at length started up and endeavouring to rouse himself from the heavy trance that seemed to have fallen on him he hastened to find helen it is all over with me helen said he you know what i met with in the library and now my mother protests against my accepting my commission because she says that officers lead profane lives what is to become of me helen have patience dearest charles all this cannot last it cannot be supposed that we can submit ourselves to the will of mr cartwright and depend upon it that it is he who has dictated this refusal do not look so very miserable my dear brother i think you would do very wisely if you returned to oakley to dinner for many reasons bless you my love for the suggestion it will indeed be a relief to me i know not at this moment which i most desire to avoid my mother or miss torrington have you seen her rosalind i mean no charles not since you parted from her i heard her enter the room and lock the door the answer you have received from her surprises me more and vexes me more than even my mother's bless you helen you are a true sister and a true friend i will go to sir gilbert but it rains hard i wish i had the cab of my own dear mare to ride but that's a minor trouble it irks me though for it comes from the same quarter it does indeed and it irks me too believe me but patience charles courage and patience will do much will it give me the heart of the woman i love helen "'or rather, will it give her a heart? "'It is that which galls me. "'I have been deceived, trifled with, "'and have loved with my whole heart and soul "'a most heartless, fair-seeming coquette.' "'That you have not, Charles,' replied Helen warmly. "'That you have not. "'I, too, have mistaken Rosalind's feelings towards you. "'Perhaps she has mistaken them herself. "'But she is not heartless, "'and above all there is no seeming about her. "'How I love you for contradicting me, Helen, "'and for that bright flush that so eloquently expresses "'anger and indignation at my injustice.' but if she be not a coquette then i must be a most consummate puppy for as i live helen i thought she loved me i cannot understand it but i know that rosalind torrington is warm-hearted generous and sincere and whatever it is which has led us to misunderstand her either now or heretofore it cannot be coquetry or false seeming of any kind well be it so i would rather the fault were mine than hers but i will not see her again to-day if i can help it so good-bye helen My lady must excuse my toilette. I cannot dress and then walk through Oakley Lane. End of chapter 13